Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bad Bleeps of the Bible. So hello again. Here we are entering week three of February. Where is the month going? Um, regardless, I have another amazing, wild, weird, definitely Bible love story for you today. And guys, she is a doozy. Uh, we're telling the wild and winding path of love between two bleeps this week. Um, a love that is not just wide and winding in that it goes from Canaan to Egypt and then back to Israel, but also winding in that it is messy. Messy. Involving necessary deceptions, I guess you would say, um, where one of the individuals becomes the wife to the pharaoh for a little bit. Um, we have babies who are born from slaves who are then kicked out and sent into the wilderness. Um, we have prophecies. We have God speaking to his servants. There's a lot going on. Um, so let's just get into it. Today, we're telling the story of our two bleeps, Abraham and Sarah. The literal first thing I'm going to say about the people in our story is that for the bulk of this story, they're actually not Abraham and Sarah. Before the hot mess that is their love story climaxes and a big old name change from the divine, they're actually known as Abram and Sarai. It's S-A-R-A-I. Do I know how to say it? I learned it this way, so we're going to roll with it. Did I look it up? No, I didn't. And maybe I should have as I'm recording this, but what can you do? You're not here for facts. You're here for fun. Um, but regardless, so Abram and Sarai is how we're going to refer to them. Because again, for the bulk of their story, this is how they're known. Um, so just know that when you hear me say, oh, you know, Abram and Sarai did this, or Sarai did that, or Abram did that, it's the same people who will later be known as Abraham and Sarah. And what's with the name changes, Bible? Like, why is everyone getting their name changed? Jacob becomes Israel. Abram becomes Abraham. And I, like probably you, was confused about this. What's up with it? So, of course, I asked my dad, which if you're new to the podcast or if you don't know, my dad is actually an independent, fundamental Baptist, kind of Southern Baptist-ish preacher who then had his <laughs> little son that is me and my two brothers. Um, but he is a preacher. And so I asked him, Dad, what is with these name changes? Because like it happens a lot at the really the beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament. And the story is this. Um, basically, God wanted to establish a new identity for these folks, giving them a new mission in life. Uh, so I really in my head, made the kind of connection between Malcolm X, where he changed his name because of his new mission. It's kind of the same thing here. God changed folks' names because they were destined for something better. So, for example, again, Jacob became Israel because he was destined to become the father of what? Israel. And Abram will become Abraham for reasons that we'll discuss later. Anywho, back to our story, which comes uh, by way of the Old Testament. So we're back in Genesis. And for the love of God, I need to get a story that comes from the New Testament because it also exists. Um, but whatever. We're back in Genesis, again, in the Old Testament, which if you followed along with us bleep so far, 
Abraham is a descendant of Noah and existed, if you believe the Bible, which for sake of the argument, let's say we do. Sorry, Mom. He existed after the big old flood, which wiped out the entire world for a little homo sapien refresh. So, yeah. Abraham, Abram, is a descendant of Noah's who lived in the land of Ur, which is today's Iraq. And he is known as the patriarch of Israel for reasons, again, which we will get into. But one of kind of the biggest is because he is the father of Isaac, who then becomes the father of Jacob, whose name is then changed to Israel, and whose babies become the 12 tribes of Israel. Lots of names coming at you. I can literally hear Freddie, which the little plug for uncut, which is coming at you next Monday. Um, I can hear him screaming in my ears. Why are the names? I can understand it. Whatever. They're important. So yes, Abraham is clutch in the biblical narrative. So let's tell his story, tell his and his wife's love story, which again begins in the first book of the Bible in the old Testament Genesis. So our story begins with God telling our main squeeze, Abram. Remember, his name will be changed to Abraham later, but we're sticking with Abram for now. He tells Abram to flee from his home country of Ur and the land of Wink and Blink and Nod and go to a land that God will show him in order to make his name great amongst his people. Why did God choose Abraham for this monumental task? Probs because he was descended from Noah and his truly probably an important person is my guess, but the Bible doesn't tell us. We're not really sure. But what we are sure of is that Abram followed God's decree and pieced himself out of Ur to head to this mythical land that he was promised, but didn't know where he was going. But it wasn't only him who pieced. He also had the love of his life going along with him, and that was Sarai. He also had his nephew Lot, which we will get into in later episodes of Sodom and Gomorrah. Can't wait to tell that story soon. But anyway, Abraham, Sarai, and Lot departed from Ur and continued on their journey until they arrived actually in Egypt. Maybe not where they wanted. They were actually fleeing a famine elsewhere. But here they are about to cross into Egypt. Now listen, entering Egypt wasn't a small task for the Israelites, and specifically for Israelite women. Though as I'm saying this, they weren't called Israelites yet, so... Oops. So let's just say for any women outside of Egypt, it's hard to get into Egypt. Or people in Egypt. What am I saying? Whatever! It was unsafe if you weren't weren't from Egypt and were trying to cross into it. Sure. And it was especially treacherous for our girl, Sarai, Abram's squeeze, because as he puts it to her, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his beautiful wife and they will kill me and let you live. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. I guess that's kind of like a backhanded precious moment, I would say. Speaking of precious moments, did any of their moms collect precious moments like mine did? But digress. Yes. Um, Yeah. So he says to his wife, Sarai, hey, you're so beautiful that people will want you. And to get to you, they'll have to kill me. So instead of you being my wife, you're going to be my sister. And everything goes to plan. 
until it doesn't. Because, sure, the sister ruse worked, but it worked a little too well since uh, she was so stunning and was so nice to look on, I guess. Um, And she was supposedly unwed that she was the perfect person to be whose new wife but Pharaoh's. Yes, and then here we have Sarai actually being taken hostage by the guards at the Egyptian border and brought before Pharaoh, whereupon he made her one of his wives. My God, the quickness of these happenings. The Bible, again, just moves at a pace, people. But just as quickly, because Abram wasn't supposedly her husband, he was also treated incredibly well. He was like, oh, you know what? This is kind of nice. They actually gave Abram goats in the hand for his (laughs) sister wife. Uh, They gave him male servants. They gave him female servants, which more on that later in this story. And everything seemed, I guess, hunky-dory as much as it could be. Eventually, though, things turned ugly, uh, where the Old Testament God, Yahweh, decided to get Abram and Sarai out of this situation by inflicting a deadly disease on the Pharaoh and his family, which ultimately led to Abram confessing that, yo, Pharaoh, it's my fault. I'm actually married to your wife, um, and I'm on a special mission. And rather than what I would do, yeet Abram off the face of the earth, the Pharaoh actually is really nice. He gives up on his claim to Sarai. He allows Abram and co to go out of Egypt with all their goodies intact, including the female slaves that they were gifted in strong air quotes. So a lot has happened so far. Just to recap, Abram was promised a new land, was told to leave Ur. They leave Ur and head to this new land, but they can't go because there's a famine, so they have to go to Egypt. In Egypt, Sarai is actually held hostage and becomes a wife of Pharaoh while Abram gets rich and is given all these things. Eventually, they're kicked out of Egypt by God, um, and now they're on their way to their supposed promised land. Cool. That's act one of Abram's and Sarah's story. Dramatic so far? Well, (laughs) be ready for it to get a little bit more Kate crazy. Come through act two. So we're going to fast forward a little bit, and we're going to settle into where Abram and Sarai are finally settled and getting rich. The Bible tells us that Abraham grew very rich, not only from the spoils of his Egyptian time, but also just through wise investments, through farming, through shepherding, all of that. Great. Cool. Great for him. Complicating this, though, was that he was also getting up in age at this point. And time had come for him to start thinking about his heir. And there was bad luck in that department. Sarai and Abraham were unable to make any of the bebes necessary for an heir. So in a time of struggle, what do you and I do? We get sad. We leave. We take a little walk. And Abraham, Abram, (laughs) leaves his tent and does just that. He takes a walk in the silent and dark of the night to have a little bit of like uh, of a reflection moment. Now, this next part kind of feels very 
Lion King. He lives in you. Esque in that, in the dark of the night, while Abraham's on his little walk, God Yahweh comes to Abram in a vision, saying to him, "Fear not, Abram. I'm with you. Don't be troubled." Abram, as if most people in these instances, which is wild to me, wasn't shocked by this Mufasa moment and asks, what do you mean don't be troubled? He sasses God, which I do kind of enjoy. You've given me no children. I have no heir. How am I not to be troubled? And it's here where one part of our prophecy bit comes into play. The Lord replies, Abram, I got you. A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. In fact, he lives in you. No, not really. (laughs) In fact, look up at the sky and count the stars. You can't count them, can you? So shall your offspring be. You won't be able to count how many you have. Goodbye. And that moment ends, and we end that beautiful Lion King, he lives in you moment to now enter the twisted part of Abram and Sarai's love story. Great. And here's what went down. Abram returns from this fantastic vision that he just had with Yahweh, the vision where God told him, look up at the stars. This is as many the stars are as many kids as you will have in the universe, whatever. He returns to Sarai with, I'm sure, news of this glorious revelation that they're going to have a baby, not just one baby, but lots of babies. But in Sarai's mind, I'm sure she's like, how? We're barren. We're old. And then her eyes alight on someone else in the tent. Remember the Egyptian slaves, particularly the women Egyptian slaves? Yes. One slave in particular caught the eye of Sarai, who in, I guess, some sort of twisted belief, thinks that maybe this is the way to secure an heir for the family. And maybe this is what God meant when he said that we were going to have lots of children. Do you see where I'm going? Sarai sees this slave, who we are going to name Hagar, and says to her husband, Abram, Listen, Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, but it doesn't mean you should be stopped from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. That's a direct quote, that part right there. (laughs) What also screams Lord is that Abraham agrees with Sarai and takes the Egyptian slave Hagar as his other wife. And after what already is a messed up situation, he then marries Hagar, and with the tactness of a drunk elephant, um, the Bible says that he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. Yuck. With a quickness. So in a matter of verses in the Bible, which if you didn't know, the Bible is broken up into chapters and verses, not paragraphs or narratives, but verses. In a matter of verses, Abram has, one, had a vision, two, gained a wife, and three, is now expecting. That is what we call whiplash, dear God. And even in more twisted mess 
upness, Hagar, now pregnant with old man Abram's child, begins to look down on Sarai, all because Sarai wasn't able to get pregnant, and she was. So obviously it was something wrong with the wife, not the husband. And then it gets worse. Sarai, feeling the contempt of Hagar, who she volunteered to her husband Abram to have a child with, Sarai feels the contempt of Hagar and says to Abram, Hagar is treating me terribly, and I blame you. Do something. And Abram's response is to say to Sarai, listen, it's your slave girl. She's in your power. Do with her as you please. Again, direct quotes. Dear God. And Sarai did. She drove Hagar out of the tent and into the wilderness of Sinai, pregnant. She drove this woman who, again, she volunteered to act as a surrogate for her husband into the wilderness where she is currently pregnant and wandering around with no water. So ends act two. (laughs) And now we enter the final act of our bleeps Abram and Sarah's twisted love story where it maybe gets better because I feel like we have reached a low point and everything has to be better from here. But I will let you, dear listener, be the judge. We open act three with Hagar, pregnant and driven from her home, wandering in the wilderness where she happens upon a spring. A spring in the wilderness. How does that happen? Well, you know who should be at that spring waiting for her? But an angel of the Lord, uh, who tells Hagar that she, in fact, did nothing wrong, that she is favored, and that she should, in fact, go back to Sarai and to Abram and be like, Listen, hey, I know you drove me out, but an angel told me to go back and, you know, uh, let's let bygones be bygones. I have this baby. Here we are. Let's move on. The angel tells her to do that. The angel also added that she will have her offspring and this offspring will then multiply and that he will actually be equally important in terms of multiplication of the people of Israel. And then finally, that she is supposed to name said baby Ishmael, meaning God will hear. Allah, God heard Hagar's stress and prayers. So she names him Ishmael. Precious. But y'all, she goes back. She goes back to Abram and Sarai's tent, says, hey, I know you kicked me out. I'm back. And it seems that there are no issues. She gives birth to Ishmael, and all seems well and good. (laughs) Cool. All right, and before we move on, I'm going to throw some ages at you, because at this point, when Ishmael is born, Abram is 86 years old, meaning that he would have had to get her pregnant at 85 or 86. (laughs) That's gross. Almost as wild as old people running our government, but here we are. But again, I'm going to like preface that a little bit. Again, he was 85 or 86 when he got uh, Hagar pregnant. People lived a long time in the Old Testament, if you did not know. Noah, I keep referencing that dude. We need to tell a story. Noah lived to 930. Methuselah lived to 969. Abram lives to 175. So people live a long time. 
And I'm not sure how people explain this exactly um, for those skeptics of the Bible who we look at and we're like, how would that happen? Uh, one source I read said that it's because a stunning water vapor canopy protected the Earth from radiation. Sure. Yeah, right. So um, the point that I'm trying to make is that while it may seem old uh, at 85, to put it into context, when Abram died at 175, he was basically middle-aged when he got her pregnant. Still old. Still old, though. An old man. So, ew. But back to the story. So, Hagar has had Ishmael. Yet Sarai, Sarai and Abraham were still childless. And it's here again that God decides to stir things up. Because when Abram, fast forward a little bit, had now turned 99, God once again appeared to him and started to chat with Abram about that prophecy that he had given him a long time ago. Remember the one that he would be the kind of patriarch of Israel and that his offspring would fill the earth and be likened to the stars? Yes, that one. But what's special is this time God meant business. How do we know this? Because we have that aforementioned but now happening little name switcheroo. And at the end of God's rambling in that chapter of the Old Testament, and by rambling, I of course mean prophecy. Sorry, Dad. He renamed Abram and made his new name Abraham, which means father of many nations. Great. You know what else he concluded? Or that he included, I guess? Is that at this point, Abraham would not only be the father of nations, he would be the father of circumcisions, starting with himself. He needed to now be circumcised, and following his name changed, he would then circumcise the rest of his offspring. Sides notes that I'd just love to share. So God concluded his little prophecy with another name change and some hope. He tells Abraham, the artist formerly known as Abram, that he is also to change the name of his wife Sarai to Sarah, and that they were going to have... A baby. Yay! And Abraham is overcome with emotion, and he actually begins to laugh at this prophecy and points out, rightfully so, that he's old AF and that Sarah is also old AF at 90. And how are they going to have a child? God clearly for once didn't take affront to this laughter, and sure as the sun rises, a short time later, Sarah the artist formerly known as Sarai, is now with child. The Bible then tells us that Abraham goes on a little bit of a circumcision spree, circumcising all of the males in his house. Um, And that includes the baby that was born to Abraham and Sarah, who they name Isaac, which means, drumroll please, one who laughs since they laughed at God's initial prophecy. How fun. L-O-L. And this Isaac becomes, and will soon become, the father to Israel, the artist formerly known as Jacob, whose sons include Joseph and then become the 12 tribes of Israel. So a beautiful, 
happy ending for what is kind of two messed up lovebirds who were just trying their best in the wilderness. That would be our bleeps, Abraham and Sarah, the artists formerly known as Abram and Sarai. And before I leave you, um, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story because it's a bit depressing and actually includes Hagar and Ishmael being sent away again into the wilderness and also includes the destruction of an entire town where one woman gets turned into a pillar of salt. <laughs> the Bible, am I right? Uh, regardless, um, the story of Abraham and Sarah is definitely one for the ages and ones that you should definitely know because they are very important people in the annals of the Bible. Um, but it's also a story that spans countries. It spans continents. They literally went from Asia to Africa. And it chronicles a story that, while wild at times, makes Abraham and Sarah truly two bad bleeps. And that is their story. That was the story, the twisted love story, the twisted story of our bleeps, Abraham and Sarah. As you know, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Please get in touch with me. Share your thoughts. Maybe you want to hear a story that I haven't done yet. Reach out to me at badbleepsofthebible at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and TikTok where you can find us at badbleepsofthebible. Sources for today's story can be found in our show notes. And please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Let's get the bleeping world out there. Catch you next time and watch out for old people getting pregnant and prolonged prophecies. <laughs> Bye.